And let's come to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand his holy word. Father in heaven, we come to you in humility. We come to you as beggars needing bread, spiritual food for our souls. So we pray that you would take your word and cause it to go down deep within us, that it might transform us today as we understand it and apply it. We ask that you would do that by the power of your spirit in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it is Father's Day, so welcome to all the fathers today. Well done. I want to think of this phrase on Father's Day, like father, like son. You know, last fall, I was new here to Hope, and I didn't know everyone, but I did know some people. But I saw a little boy running around. He was lost, and he was looking for his dad. And so I kind of got down. I said, I didn't even have to say anything to him, really, because I looked at him, and I thought, I know exactly who your dad is, because you look exactly like your dad, like father, like son. In a similar way, I can identify certain traits of mine that I picked up from my own dad. My dad had a great love of sports, and he translated that to me, and and I have that same love today. There's things like working hard that I saw from my dad, and now I do the same. My dad's very level-headed. He doesn't kind of lose his cool very often, and I pick that up from him. So there's good traits that I've inherited from my dad. There's also not so good traits, things like uh, some odd sleep habits. So uh, both my dad and I, when we're tired and we've had a long day at work or it's been a long week, we can fall asleep anywhere as long as we kind of like find somewhere to recline. And to my wife's chagrin, many times I've fallen asleep and I'm not ready for bed or anything, but I'm out. And uh, I got that from my dad as well, like father, like son. So what is the point? The point is that we naturally inherit traits from our parents that, and we bear similarities to them. Many times we even look like our parents. There's so many ways that we're like them, but even though we pick up these traits and we bear their resemblance, there are so many ways we're not like our fathers or our mothers. But when it comes to understanding God, like father, like son, is an accurate description of between these two members of the Trinity. And in this, today's passage, Jesus is going to show us how he is like the father. He is fully God, and he was equal to the father. This is important because the religious leaders missed this. You know, they've confronted Jesus. They said, hey, you're making yourself equal with God. They could not comprehend that Jesus, who's the Son, and God the Father were equal, mostly because they weren't even open to that possibility. Because like good Jews, they would have been reciting the Shema every morning and every evening, Deuteronomy 6, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were monotheistic. There is one God and one only. And so here is this man, this rabbi, who is claiming equality with God. They didn't have any sort of category for this. This reality 
that is seen in Scripture that shows us that there is one God that is true, but he exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And each one is fully God. And so in our passage today, Jesus is responding to these leaders, and he's proving to them that he is, in fact, equal to God, which is why he's able to do the works that he's doing. And that leads us to the main claim of today's message, which is this. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to write something down. The main claim is that Jesus has God-given authority over eternal life and eternal death. Jesus has God-given authority over eternal life and eternal death. And in light of this claim, two exhortations come out of the text for us today. The first is this. We must weigh the evidence that Jesus gives. That's in verses 19 to 23. And second, we must listen to Jesus' voice. That's in verses 24 to 29. So let's explore this first exhortation, uh, that we need to weigh the evidence that Jesus has this kind of authority. You see, contrary to what the Jewish leaders thought, When Jesus arrived on the scene, he was not doing his own thing. He was not creating a new religion. He was not discarding Judaism. Nothing of the sort. Instead, he was doing the exact will of God. He was fulfilling the eternal plan of God. Like father, like son. And in verses 19 to 23, he gives us four proofs that show us he has equal authority to God the Father. Four proofs, as we weigh the evidence here, he gives us four proofs. The first proof is that he does the Father's works. Look at verse 19, or just listen to it as I read it out. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does Likewise, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Well, we we mustn't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying that he is powerless to do anything on his own. Remember, Jesus is fully God. No, here Jesus is talking about the relationship that he has between God the Father and himself. Jesus always does the will of the Father. Every time. This means that the works that we've seen, the signs that we've seen Jesus do throughout John's gospel, these are works that God the Father has wanted him to do. Whether it was turning water into wine, whether it was healing the official's son, or whatever other works we've seen thus far. Now, we, but this, all these kind of signs, this this was just the beginning, Jesus is saying. Another thing we need to be clear about right off the bat is that Jesus is not saying here that he is any way inferior to the Father or in any way subordinate in being to him. That would be the ancient heresy called subordinationism. That was something that the church father Origen kind of uh, purported some years ago, and we see it surface today. Jesus is in no way inferior to God the Father. In no way is he subordinate to him in his very being. It's not the case. But what we do see is that God the Father has a deep love for the Son. And it expresses itself in showing the Son all of his works. And sharing those works with him and involving 
them with the Son. They're, they're, the Son is doing the works of the Father. And at the end of verse 20, Jesus says, even greater works than these will he show him, so that you, you religious leaders, may marvel. So if the religious leaders that thought that healing this crippled man at the side of the pool in Bethesda was something, which, which they did, he said, if you thought that was something, you're going to see even greater works than these that you might marvel. And he's going to describe these kind of works in the next verses. And so that leads us to the second proof that Jesus has equality, equal authority with God the Father. And that's by his resurrection power. His resurrection power. That's the second proof. Look at verse 21. Or listen. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. This is an amazing claim from Jesus. He is telling the Jewish religious leaders that he, Jesus, has the power to give life to whomever he chooses, just like the Father does. Later on in John, he's going to show them this power. You remember what he said to Martha? He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he went and he rose Lazarus from the grave. And that was a foretaste of the greater resurrection that was coming when he himself would raise from the dead and then raise countless others like you and like me if we believe in him. So greater things were coming, he said to the religious leaders. Well, the third proof of Jesus' equal authority with the Father is that he is the judge of the world. So listen to verse 22. For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. You see, the Jewish religious leaders would have known that God was judge. That's throughout the whole Old Testament. Their scriptures, they knew God was judge because the scriptures said as much. So this statement from Jesus was a major claim. This would be an offensive claim to them, that God had given all judgment to Jesus. But once again, Jesus asserts, that he is on equal footing with God because he is the judge. Well, today we often think of Jesus as Savior, and rightly so, because he is. For those of us who know and love Jesus, he is our Savior. But perhaps you don't think quite as often about Jesus as judge. That at the end of the age, when the dead are judged going to the resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment that we're going to talk about in a moment, that it's Jesus who will make that judgment. But that's what Jesus says here and throughout the New Testament we see that as well. So it's important for us to understand Jesus is judge. Jesus tells us why he has this power in the next verse, which also leads to the fourth proof in these verses, explaining why Jesus has equal authority to God the Father. And that is by the honor given to Jesus. That's the fourth, fourth proof. The honor given to Jesus. Because in verse 23, Jesus says that he has given, God has given him authority to judge, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
This is a really important concept for us to understand. You see, there's no such thing as honoring God apart from honoring his son, Jesus. In other words, you cannot honor God if you are not honoring Jesus. There's no such thing as worshiping God but saying, well, I don't really care about his son. It's kind of like on a much lesser level. If, If you were to invite me and my family over to a meal and you paid great attention to me and and to Sarah, and you gave us gifts and a meal, but then you told us or showed us that, well, your kids, they actually can't come into the house, and we have no food for them. If if you were to do something like that, I would say, well, (laughs) excuse me, You're, you're, you're showing me no honor by not honoring my kids. And on a much greater level, The same thing is happening when we say, uh, or when people say, well, I honor God, but I I don't really honor his son, Jesus. Not honoring the son is not honoring the father. So in the context, what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, he is saying, you religious leaders, you think you're honoring God, you're not. Because you don't honor me. I'm the son of God. And you're not honoring me. So therefore, you're not even worshiping God like you think you are. And in today's cultural moment, it's easy to believe that false narrative that says everyone's truth about God is valid. You know, you hear this phrase often, well, that's, that's my truth, and that's my truth. Well, friends, nothing could be farther from the actual truth than saying something like that, because according to God, there is no such thing as my truth and your truth. He is the author of truth. He tells us what truth is. Jesus' claim here in this verse means that every religion, every belief system that does not honor Jesus as Lord, they cannot honor God, no matter how devoted, no matter how many times they pray, no matter what they wear, no matter kind of what they sacrifice to whatever God they're worshiping. You cannot honor God if you are not honoring Jesus as Lord. The point is, is that there aren't many ways to God. There is one way, and one way only, and then that is through the Lord Jesus and believing in him. There's no chance of honoring God if you don't honor Jesus as Lord of all. So in this first section, in these verses, Jesus presents these four proofs. It's very clear, he's given very clear evidence that he is equal with God. He has equal authority with God. And by implication, therefore, he is God. And given that, if we assume that to be true for the, for the sake of argument, that Jesus has the same authority as God the Father, and since he has the power to judge, a natural conclusion, the only natural conclusion, is that listening to Jesus' voice is a matter of life and death. And so we need to pay attention to his word, which leads to our next exhortation from today's text, and that is to listen to Jesus's voice. So in verses 24 to 29, we're confronted with the importance of hearing the message of Jesus and responding to it. It's so important that Jesus repeats it three different times. He says it three times in three different ways. In case we didn't get it the first time, he says it again and again. So first, he addresses everyone on earth or whoever hears his word, right there in verse 24. He says, truly, truly, 
I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Well, what is Jesus doing here? But he's giving us the gospel in very short form. He's saying that whoever you are, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're a child right now listening, if you're an adult, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you were born, what kind of upbringing you had, what kind of race, nationality, ethnicity, gender. It doesn't matter who you are. Whoever hears his word, which in this context is the entire message of Jesus in the Gospels. His word is the entire message summarized in that he is the way and the truth and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through him. If you hear his word and believe in the one who, he, who sent him, which is God. God sent, so loved the world that he sent his only son. If you believe in the one he sent, God the Father you will have eternal life. You have eternal life right now. It's not a future tense. It's right now you have eternal life if you believe those things. So the question for you this morning and for me this morning is, have I heard the voice of Jesus? That is, have I responded to him in faith as I've heard his message as I've heard that he died for my sins, that he was raised from the grave three days later, have I put my faith and my hope and my trust in him? Have you heard the word of Jesus and believed in the one he sent? If so, right now you have eternal life. If not, you do not have eternal life, but God, through his son Jesus, is pleading with you. Would you trust in him today? You can do that by just confessing that you are a sinner, confessing that Jesus is Lord and saying, I want you to be Lord of my life. You could do that in your own heart even now, and you can have eternal life. But if we have done that, if we have put our faith in Jesus, which is most of us, we need to let these verses remind us of the joy and the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ. Because right now, you can be confident that you have eternal life. That you are not condemned, as Paul says in Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Many Christians are living in shame and guilt and fear. Thinking, well, have, you know, have, I, have I done the unpardonable sin? Or am I too far from God? If you know and love Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that you have eternal life right now. That you have passed from condemnation and judgment into life. And what a freedom and a joy that is as we preach that to ourselves, as we tell ourselves that truth, that we now have life because of Jesus. Not because of anything we've done. It's because of what he has done. All this because we have heard the word of Jesus and responded to him by believing in him. So in case we missed it the first time, Jesus says essentially the same thing in verse 25. Here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Well, here Jesus implies that everyone, everyone on earth is dead 
apart from him giving life. Not physically dead, but he's referring to spiritual death, spiritually dead. You may remember the classic 80s movie, Princess Bride. You know, it's a classic for those who are like under 30. For those of us who are over 30, it's, it's not that old of a movie. But the main character there, Wesley, he, if you remember, he, he kind of has been gone through a lot, and he's thought to be dead. But Miracle Max comes, and he says, you know what? He's just mostly dead. He's not all dead. He's just mostly dead. Well, don't be deceived, friends. Spiritually speaking, apart from Christ, we are not just mostly dead. We are all dead. There, there's no chance of revival on our own. There's no chance for us to, to, to make ourselves alive. We are all dead. We have no ability to revive ourselves or bring spiritual life to ourselves. Only Jesus, through the power of the Father and through his own power, has that power. So how can we know this is true? It's because of the authority that Jesus has been given from God the Father to have life in himself. But just as he has the power to give life, he also has been given the power to judge. So look at verse 26, or listen as I read. And he has given him, God has given Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So why does Jesus have this kind of authority? Why does he have the authority to judge? It's because he is the son of man which is surely a reference to Daniel chapter 7. And in case you haven't memorized Daniel chapter 7, let me read a portion of it to you starting in verse 9. This scene in Daniel 7 where the Son of Man is presented. This is Daniel speaking. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And the court sat in judgment. And the books were open. So you can see this scene in Daniel chapter 7. This scene of judgment. All these people, the the. the scene of judgment, the books were open. And then it continues in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There it is. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. So why does Jesus have this authority from God to judge? Because he is the long-awaited son of man that was prophesied by Daniel in Daniel 7. He is that figure, and he has been given that power. Well, now, in case we've missed the first two times, Jesus, again, he really wants us to hear this. So he tells us for the third time the ramifications of hearing his voice in verse 28. Listen to what he says. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice 
and they'll come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, we need to be clear that the Bible teaches elsewhere, when we die, our souls go immediately into the presence of God or into a place of judgment. Our souls go immediately there. But here, Jesus is describing this future day, this day of judgment, this day of final judgment, when everyone who has died, which is what he means by all who are in the tombs, not just people buried, it's even cremated people, it's even people that died in different ways, all who have died will hear Jesus' voice and their bodies will be resurrected. Everyone, everyone in history, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, George Washington, Hitler, everyone that you know who has died, all of us in this room, everyone, great and small. And then he says that those who have done good will go to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So that means it's really important that we're clear on who those are that have done good. We need to know who has done good because we want to be in the camp who has done good. And this doing good is not what many people today think about doing good. This is not like if we've been generally a good person or if we've been kind to others, been a help to society, not broken many laws. That's what most people think about doing good nowadays. That's not what's being talked about here, although those things are all good in of themselves here on earth. Because those things by themselves will not get us to heaven. No, it's not our definition of good that matters, but God's definition. So later in John, in chapter 6, Jesus says this. What What are good works? He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You believe in him who God has sent. So in our text, those who have done good are only those who have believed in Jesus Christ while on earth, whose hearts have been rescued and transformed, who have done good works after being saved, after realizing that Jesus did all the work for them. They've done good works. So the good works they've done are only because of what Christ has first done for them. They're not going to go to the resurrection of life because anything they've done, it's because of what Jesus has done. That's who gets to go to the resurrection of life. They will receive new resurrection bodies. That's going to be glorious. And they will live forever in the presence of God with no more sin, no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. That's the first group. But those who have not believed in Jesus, here they're called those who have done evil. Again, not what man thinks of evil, but what God thinks of evil. Those who have done evil, they will also hear the voice of Jesus. They will come out of the grave and they will be resurrected for the purpose of judgment and eternal punishment. John depicts this scene very clearly in Revelation chapter 20. He starts in verse 12 there in Revelation 20. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. 
And it goes on to say, if any man's name, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a sobering reality. It's a sobering reality that simultaneously should cause us to praise the Lord Jesus if we have been saved. And it should cause us to bow our knees in prayer for those who don't yet know him. Because this is the future, this eternal fire, this resurrection of judgment. This is the future for those who don't know Jesus. We can have our holiday uh, Hallmark movies that tell us otherwise. We can have all these kind of traditions that tell us otherwise. Or we can tell ourselves uh, cultural lies that tell us otherwise. But God in his word tells us unequivocally. There is two ways. You're going to go to the resurrection of life if you've believed in Jesus, or you're going to go to the resurrection of judgment. And there will be eternal torment in that place. There's no chance once we die. Hebrews says there's no, there's no kind of purgatory, like it's said in the Catholic faith or other places. That, that doesn't exist. Hebrews 9.27 says, after we die, then comes the judgment. It's appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. Jesus is very clear. We will not cease to exist when we die, like many people think. We will be raised, all of us, either to the resurrection of life or to the resurrection of judgment. And so that is why it is so important to hear his voice today. That's why he says it three different times. You must hear my voice. Those who hear my voice, those who hear my voice and believe. And if you haven't believed again today, let today be the day that you believe. Because if not, this is your future if you do not trust in Jesus. This future of eternal punishment. It also gives us great urgency, does it not? To share our faith with those who don't know him. Because we don't know the day that Jesus is coming back. He doesn't tell us when he's coming back. And so this should give us great urgency to share the faith, to tell all the message that Jesus has provided a way. You are dead in your sins, but Jesus has provided a way. So who is it in your life that God's put there to share this message before it's too late? Well, Jesus says later on in John's gospel in chapter 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice. He's the good shepherd. His sheep hear his voice. So the question for you today is, have you heard Jesus' voice? Do you hear his voice? Is he your master? Is he your Lord? Is he your shepherd? If so, will you follow him faithfully today? Will you rejoice in what he's done for you? And if not, will you turn to him? Will you make him your shepherd? Will you bow to him as Lord? He's calling out even today. Can you hear his voice? Can you hear the voice of Jesus through his word? Are you listening to another voice? Are you listening to a voice of this world or your own voice that's telling you you don't really need this? You don't really need him. Well, today we've seen that Jesus has authority over eternal life and eternal death. We've been kind of forced to consider the claims of Christ, to weigh the evidence, to prove that he is equal with God the Father. 
and he wants us to listen to his voice. Let's listen to his voice today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are at the same time rejoicing and grieving. We're rejoicing, those of us who know you, that we have been counted free, not guilty, given the righteousness of Christ. We will not pass the judgment, but we have life. We are rejoicing. But Lord, we are also grieving because we are grieving for those who currently have rejected you or don't know you, who are on a path to eternal destruction. And so, Lord, would you break our hearts as your heart is broken for those who have rejected you. Help us to have eyes to see and to live faithfully in this world by the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we might be your witnesses, that we might give you the glory through our lives wherever we go. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue to sing this morning.
y'all may be seated. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read something from Romans 8, and I just want to have a little time of silence as we reflect upon those verses. Then I'll pray, and then we'll take and eat together. So hear this word of the Lord from Romans chapter 8. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's reflect on that word just for a moment in silence, confessing our sin to the Lord, and then I'll pray for us. Lord, what love this is. What love is this that that you have given your son, Jesus, to die for us. Guilty sinners, condemned, that we might have life. What great love you have, Lord. We'll spend eternity thinking about your love, praising you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, we're grateful today to have this chance to remember afresh what Jesus did for us. For apart from his death and resurrection, we were lost and are lost. Apart from what he has done, we had no hope and have no hope. But because of what Jesus did, you have given us all things. You have given us life. You have given us hope. You have given us a future that can never be taken away. And so we bow before you in worship. We are humbled that you would consider us. Lord, we pray that you would magnify your name in our lives. We confess that many times we fall short of your standard, of your glory, even This morning, some of us have fallen short. But Lord, help us to receive afresh your grace, your mercy, that we have passed from 
judgment into life. Help us to remember the freedom and to know that freedom that comes through Jesus Christ. Lord, we're grateful for the ability to gather in this space, how you've provided for us so abundantly this summer. We're grateful for the missionaries that you have brought to us who are spreading the gospel around Chicagoland and around the world. Particularly today, I want to think of the Ertons who are reaching this unreached group within Chicagoland. Thank you for the strategy that they have. Thank you for how they depend on you to make inroads into this community that has gone so far astray from your ways. We pray that you'd give them fruitfulness in their work. We also pray for Liz and for Callie as they work here with college students at Crew. We're thankful for their labors. We're thankful for the reports uh, of what happened in Poland and how uh, you were so clearly at work there. We pray that the work at COD and at Midwestern and Elmhurst University would bear much fruit, that they would be filled with boldness as they equip others to share the gospel. And Lord, help us in our spheres of influence to do the same, to be examples of Christ at work, maybe even through how we fail and how we show humility in coming to others in our failure. So Lord, would you help us? Would you grow us as a body? Help us to become more like you, to grow in holiness. And in all these things, Lord, we come to you because you are God and we need you and we thank you for hearing our prayers. So we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.